What's up? What's up? Hi, everyone. What's going I love on, that people? intro, that newsreel. Intro. You do? Yeah. Why? Old school. Yeah? Yeah. Let's talk war and peace. What about it? At this rate, you know, that book's going to be banned in the West. Why? So seriously, the, the hysterics about all things Russian. What have we here in the last few days? I know it was revoked, but a letter went out to professors, academic staff in a university in northern Italy that they would be pulling back, pulling out, cancelling classes on Dostoevsky. Right. And it was sent out, you know, and then someone reported it and then they backed down. What else? I mean, the Russian athletes, well, that was last week, but Russian Paralympians won't be participating in the Winter Olympics in Beijing. Right, because of the Olympic Committee, yeah. Russian cats won't be allowed into, I suppose that's because Russian people won't be allowed to attend. Um, international show, cat show shows. Game, international cat shows. It's, uh, it's madness, man. I don't think anybody disagrees, do they? That the world's gone bonkers. Bonkers. Nobody can disagree. That's one thing that unites humanity right now. Right. I think. Most of them, anyway. Uh, everyone thinks mad. it's gone bonkers for different reasons. Yeah, who's to blame for the bonkerness is a different story. Then you're not going to get a lot of consensus, but, um, yeah. So, what's been happening in the news? I don't know. I haven't been keeping up. What's been going on? Yeah, right. Joe's glued to the Twitter. Huh? And Twitter the, sucks. Telegram. Yeah. That's one of the best places. If you want to get real info from Russia, or rather from Ukraine, from people who are actually trying to keep up with developments there. Mind you, even on Telegram, RT has been booted off Telegram. So is Sputnik, mm-hmm. um, Ruckley, etc. Telegram was Russian-owned, but they sold it several years ago. Is that right, Scotty? Yeah, it was created by some dudes in uh, Russia, I think, and then they they moved to New York or something, and it became an American-owned company. But I think I think that's the one where the de- the core developer team is still in Moscow. Mm. But I don't know. Like, I can't remember all the details. But yeah, it's not it's not American. It was Russian to start right. with anyway. To start with. Um, well, what do you want to do? I want to do a sit rep on what we think the, the status is in Ukraine. Uh, sure, yeah. Um, South Front reports that about 20% of Ukrainian territory is fully under Russian armed forces control. They have various maps to, to show that we can throw one up. Um, uh, depends on the map you read. And war, modern warfare is different. It, well, I should say, first of all, I think they changed tactics. That's been speculated. We're all armchair generals here. No one really knows for sure. But I do think the Russian losses are down. And that, they, that may be because they changed tactics. They were initially doing a lot of deep forays into Ukrainian territory. Whereas now they're just holding what they have and building up in the rear. Mm-hmm. Because this day and age, you know, something can happen behind you. Mm-hmm. They try to take out as many, you know, Ukrainian stores of um, man pads and whatever else was dumped in Ukraine prior to this happening. But they're, they're obviously, they didn't get everything in the initial airstrikes. Yeah. You got a map? Um, hang on now. Throw that one up. We'll give you a sit rep for just when Neil finds his maps. Um, this was just released today by the Ukrainian military, I suppose, but uh, it shows uh, it's pretty quick. I have to go back to the beginning. 
I was supposedly a Russian uh, hind helicopter, helicopter MI-24, like a military helicopter. Kind of strange, though. It was on its own. Um, no flares. Maybe it wasn't expecting it. But for me, for me, that's evidence of the effectiveness of Western-backed military support to Ukrainians. That's probably a, a you know, a stinger or a an in-law. Or the British one. Yeah, possibly. Javelin's yeah. American. Javelin's N-Law's well. are British. Javelin stinger, yeah. N-Law's are, yeah. Dope. <clears throat> um, so... Uh, so you think that video's legit? Yeah, I mean, nobody, nobody's kind of said it's not so far, but it is strange in the fact that it's... Um, it's on its own. One helicopter, who knows? Maybe it was just kind of picked off because it was... Who knows what was going on, but... Um, Usually, any, any videos you see of, of those kind of military helicopters, uh, Russian military, heli- military helicopters, they're usually uh, in in groups, certainly more than one, you know. Yeah. Um, so who knows? But the point about that is that those kind of videos are few and far between, you know, um, of of any description, any videos that are that you can validate or that, that look reasonable in terms of Russian military equipment that has been, um, you know, destroyed or taken, or whatever. There's a few, but a lot fewer than I would have expected to see, you know. Uh, at least that I, that you would expect to see based on the Ukrainian militaries or the Ukrainian government's claims about how many Russian uh, oh, their claims soldiers are off and the charts. Yeah, how, how much? How they're much, up to ten thousand. How today. bigly they're winning? They claim now that today, as of today, ten thousand yeah. Russian soldiers have died. Oh, that's just part of the propaganda. And this, so many people in the West have no have no understanding of of uh, have no no discernment. No skepticism and no real awareness of just how much information and lies and dis- distortion of, of facts play a part in any conflict, in any military conflict, you know, especially one as high profile as this one. And they take so much, and there's so much bias as well in terms of people reading into things what they want to believe rather than actually seeing what's actually going on. Uh, of course, if you've, if you've internalized like most people in the West have the the Western narrative, Western government media narrative that this is an evil aggression by the Russians against the Ukrainian people, then immediately you're going to be for the underdog, the the poor Ukrainian people who are being viciously attacked by Russia, according to the West. And uh, so if you see, and you're going to be looking for and seeing, you're going to look for anything that validates your desire or your need to believe that uh, that the bad guy is getting getting beaten. You know, so it's a real minefield out there in terms of. Uh, for most people, in terms of... But a lot of people don't really care. They just want to believe what they want to believe, and that's the end of the story, you know? So um, what are you going to do? But here we try to figure out what's actually going on and understand what's actually going on and give a reasonable um, assessment of the situation, which invariably is far, far more complex, as most things are far more complex than the West would like, Western governments and media would like to portray because they like to portray sound bites and simple black-and-white narratives, good guys versus bad guys, like they've always done, you know? Orange man bad, uh, evil dictator killing his own people, uh, just war, uh, that kind of thing. Simple binary, a simple binary view of life and reality, which is bizarre that it passes off on people because most people know that life isn't as simple as that. It's nearly always much more complex than that. And the same, you know, as above, so below, as in your normal, as in your personal life. So broad scale events in terms of relationships between nations and dynamics between nations and obviously wars are very complex as well. But people, I don't know, are stupid? I don't know, maybe people are stupid. Anyway. Um, I think they're susceptible to... Being stupid. The, no, well, yeah, okay, well let's give it that, but also a barrage. 
you got to, it's the extent to which you can fire something at them in terms of information. Mm. And it's nonstop. It's wall to wall. Um, and, and it, it's so, it's so like, it, we, we recognize it as over the top, mm. but it, it will bamboozle most people in a target audience. It will stun them. Mm. And it's incessant, you know, it's day after day. Mm. I mean, and, it, it's it's one thing after another. I mean, last week we talked about the Ghost of Kiev, fictional. Um, what else was fictional from last week? Uh, the the thirteen heroes. Oh, the of Snake, Snake Island. Island. Snake Island incident, fictional. Didn't happen. There was one yesterday. Technically, it was two days ago, but it made yesterday's news cycle in the West. So all day yesterday, the reality, at least in the Western world, was that Russia was attempting to and possibly had set off the worst nuclear disaster, mm. like Chernobyl times yeah. a thousand, yeah. when they deliberately and willfully shelled... The largest... Uh, nuclear plant in nuclear Europe. In, in the world, I think. In Europe, for sure, but yeah. maybe maybe it's... It's, it's used got Europe, six, yeah. six reactors on yeah. it or something. Um, it's fiction. Yeah. And a firefight took place there, definitely. Just tell me what I want to hear. <laughs> Tell me what I want to believe. Don't tell me what's the true. Headlines, the headlines 36 hours later, universally, from you know yeah. Europe oh, to the United States happen. to wherever else will we'll eat it up. They hope most of the world, but I think they're going to find out soon. It's actually only about 20% of the world audience they have on their side. Mm. Um, we were at Chernobyl level of the end. Yeah, you for, know, for 10 minutes. For, te- for 10 minutes in real time, but it, it, it produced a whole day's worth of reality yeah. in quotes. Yeah. And most people only got like a, that little snippet. They saw it. They got afraid. Well, they have anyway. they have stuff to do. They've got to get on yeah, with their yeah. lives, right? So yeah. it's a barrage all day long. Right. And what else do you expect them to Over to, and over again, yeah. To take home from that. Yeah. Did um, you, you get the map I sent you? Um, there are others going out there. But I think... And it's probably increased the... It has increased since that. The red territory For around sure, Ukraine yeah. there has probably increased since... So this is two ago, days yeah. ago. So, oh, But South Front... Three think, day, two days ago, yeah. South Front, I quote-unquote trust because they... they Although they're pro- they almost certainly are a Russian out, uh, outfit, they tend to understate successes and so on. They were consistent throughout their coverage of the developments in Syria, especially when Russia joined in 2015. Um, they do tend to understate. They're, they're not into gloating and so on and so forth. But anyway, here's a useful map. So that key point, you see the largest sections, obviously, are the southeast and the south, uh, those areas of red controlled by Russian forces now. A key thing that's going on at the moment is they're trying to link up Russian control of the two parts. And right in the middle there where the two arrows point, the red arrows, that's Mariupol. Mariupol is one to watch right now because... Um, the media is not lying to you when a humanitarian crisis is about to happen or is currently happening because that city has been cut off from supplies of food, energy, power for the last five days. It's Water. got a lot of Ukrainian forces in there, at least a sizable portion of whom are extreme right, not jobs, Azov Battalion, Adar Battalion, etc. Um, around it then it's ringed, it is surrounded as the map shows um, by Russian forces. Yeah. At 10 a.m. local time today, um, the negotiating group that was set up when they met last week in, uh, in Gomel in Belarus between the Russian government and what's left the Ukrainian government, they agreed that there would be a humanitarian corridor to allow residents of Mariupol, about 200,000 people, 
to leave and to head in the direction of that city in the center of the country, Dnipro. However, at beginning at 10.01, um, they began shelling. Well, who began shelling? It's going to be reported in the West that the Russians did. Uh, there's video on the ground from DPR journalists and or DPR militia themselves filming events. They're available on uh, Russian language telegram channels, which are also translated into English, and they have videos. There are there is shelling taking place from inside the city outwards at Russian positions, and this began at 10 a.m. today. So the, the Kiev government... And what's left of it is saying one thing, but the opposite actions are taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, that's almost universally across the board in Ukraine. It's most important to understand that now in Mariupol, because I suspect in the next few days, this will be the next horror story filling the news cycles all over the world. Yeah, and it's going to continue for, for a while because uh, the Russians are obviously planning to, you know, to... To dispense with this kind of slowly, slowly approach, so they will be forced to dispense yeah. with the slowly, slowly approach based on that kind of uh, behavior by Ukrainian detachments or elements of the Ukrainian military uh, who are basically attempting to create as many as civilian casualties as possible. You know, so at, at a certain point, it's going to be there's going to be no point in the Russians trying to prevent civilian casualties when the Ukrainians are trying to encourage them. You know. Um, you know, effectively to try and stop them to, to make the Russians think twice about do you want all this blood on your hands type thing if you attempt to, you know, attack us while we're, we've stationed all our artillery and we ourselves are right beside or inside residential buildings. Um, and we're not allowing, as you just said, they're not allowing people to escape. Now, if people just think about that, I mean, the headlines were Russians shell, you know, so there's an agreement today supposedly for 10 minutes uh, between the Ukrainians and the Russians to for a ceasefire in order to allow humanitarian convoys to leave Mariupol, uh, Kharkiv in the north, and, and Kiev. But then, particularly in Mariupol, they announced that, oh, ceasefire is not happening. Uh, this 10-minute-long ceasefire isn't happening because the Russians are shelling the convoys as they as people try to leave. Russians are actually attacking them. That's com- just... I would just appeal people to logic here. Yeah, it's completely strategically, it's against what Russia wants Russia to do. Russia wants here. the civilians out of there so they can attack. They can deal with the Ukrainian military. That's their only goal: the Ukrainian military and the political elite, uh, and their all of their all of their kind of like anti-Russian, somewhat right-wing, very right-wing Nazi-type fascist friends. They have no beef, no problem with, as Putin himself has stated, with the with the Ukrainian people. They don't want to kill any of them. They don't want, they don't want to reduce you know, filling civilian casualties as much as possible. But the Ukrainians want to increase them as much as possible because it makes Russia look bad and it can put pressure on Russia. So anybody who's shelling or stopping civilian leaving, civilians leaving towns and cities in Ukraine, it's the Ukrainians. Whoever, you know, if you want to answer that question, who's doing it, it's definitely the Ukrainians, not the Russians. Well, the DPR people who are there outside Mariupol claim as well, in addition, they observed a residential building was leveled, was blown up from yeah. the inside. It was rigged with explosives, and they fear that people were in it. Yeah. So there's that kind of thing. Like, that's more than just, you know, taking advantage of the crisis of crossfire. I mean, there's a willful element at work here as well that's just beyond sick. Yeah. Um, uh, we have a video from Mario Paul from yesterday. you remember the one we watched? It's super graphic. It's not been brushed out to cover up what people are seeing, you know, what I'm, I'll say what I'm talking about. It's a video of the outskirts of Mariupol, either last night or the night before. It's Two dark. Ago. Uh, it's a couple, 
um, apparently they're husband and wife and they're trying to leave and they get to a point where there's cars and there's people shot dead in the cars. They were people attempting to leave Mario Paul. Do we play it? It is, it is on Twitter. It's uh, not been taken down from Twitter yet. YouTube mightn't like it. That's not then. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, For anybody who wants it's to. Horrific. It. It, it's horrific. And it's it's verified insofar as the couple in question, the video cuts off the recording when they themselves come under fire mm-hmm. and they're screaming. You see here a woman scream and they're back in the car. Video ends. It was later reported that the man made it to somewhere, Bergiansk or somewhere. But his wife was killed. She was killed. So... Uh, if you just go, on that point, just go to the Sky News link there, Scotty, and see if you can get that video to play. Um, it's a few minutes long, but it's interesting. It's on that same topic or same point that you're addressing there. Uh, can I, will that video play? By the magic of technology? Or, yeah. Well, they put a warning up. But there's nothing. The Ukrainian people okay. are being attacked from the air, from artillery, from ground troops and tanks. The debris of this war litters every street. But the government has warned for days of Russian saboteurs who've infiltrated the country to bring terror. <laughs> Death squads who are attacking civilians in their cars as they flee. Yeah. They do exist. Just pause there. As we found out. Russian death squads in the country attacking civilians in their car as they flee. So the idea there, clearly the idea is that Russian, the Russian government has, its, its intention is to go into the country and massacre civilians, you know, randomly, basically. Uh, that's, that's their agenda, right? Supposedly, that's what you're meant to believe from uh, that report. Ethnic genocide. Right, that's what they're there for. And that is obviously completely against everything the Russians have said and what we've seen them do so far, which is everybody... The same, the same Sky News will, will try and make fun or poke fun or undermine Russia by saying that they're not making as much progress as they, as they planned and stuff. They won't go into the details, but obviously details are the only explanation for why they're going so slow, relatively, let's say, if you, if you see it that way, is because they're taking extra special care to avoid civilian casualties. But in the same breath, they'll put out a report yeah. like this by this asshat a reporter who's in Ukraine pretending to be like G.I. Joe, um, saying that Russian saboteurs, Russian, you know, death squads, he used the term death squads, are in the yeah. country slaughtering civilians left and right. But can, can I just point out, like, the glaringly obvious for a minute? Like, Russia went into Ukraine, right? Right. So they've got, like, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of missiles. Like, if they wanted to kill all the civilians, mm. they'd just launch all their missiles. Don't exp- I know. They just, I mean, why would there be Russian death squads? Like, because they're so evil. They're, yeah, exactly. They're going to waste all this manpower and money and all this stuff yeah, yeah. to have death squads? No, yeah. they're just going to launch a bunch of freaking missiles yeah. and kill everyone. Of course. Which too is logical. exactly what they're not too doing. They're, no, too but the Russians are bloodthirsty. They like killing people themselves. They're kind of like evil <sighs> murder. They're serial killers, basically. Just carry on there. That was a bullet. No, no, it wasn't, wasn't a bullet. Something blew up under us. Something blew up under us. Oh, there's a big yeah, hole. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, oh. Whoa! Whoa! What Wow. 
Everyone. We think it's a Ukrainian checkpoint and a mistake, so we identify ourselves. Of course, they're shot up by Yuki's. Anyone? You're right, Is everyone okay? You okay, Dom? Somehow we have to get out of this, but the rounds keep coming. It's a professional ambush. The bullets just don't miss. escape the car and with producer Dominic van Heerden we make our way down the embankment camera operator Richie Mockler has taken two rounds to his body armor but is still stuck in the car he runs for it in a hail of bullets They get into a the five of a hangar basically, and then they're fine. Uh, but the point is, the again, in keeping with a big part of the Ukrainian tactics here, anti-Russia or against Russia in, in this war is in the domain of information and is in the domain of making Russia, you know, validating the the allegations that are blanketing the. The, the airwaves in the West, at least, that Russia is an evil aggressor who's in there killing people and stuff. The Ukrainians are fully on board with that. I've been really providing as much evidence as they can to, to support that, making up evidence for the most part. But they would love to see a bunch of Sky News reporters from the UK mm. killed, right? Mm. So on balance, you've got to just, just make a, a judgment there. You know, who's most likely to, be, who's most likely to benefit from Dead civilians and dead, especially Western journalists, let's say, mm. in, uh, in, in, as part of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Well, it's obviously the one who's going to benefit is Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, and Russia's gonna, it's going to be a propaganda blow for Russia. So the idea that Russia, the Russian forces would you know, try open and kill, fire open fire on... Is, and if they know right, journalists right, continue to. Right, is, is ridiculous. It's not, it's ridiculous. Isn't it creepy how he, he's... Creepy, whatever, whatever... Word you want to give it? He's there narrating a version of reality, an actual reality intrudes. You know what I mean? He's yeah, yeah. there saying, "I'm setting the scene for the horror that Russia's doing," and the side he's speaking up for nearly kills him. Right? Yeah, but that's journalists are generally stupid. You know, uh, as a general rule, they're 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 the Western well, Western mainstream media journalists, British are, journalists, especially. My God. They're, they're the purveyors of lies and propaganda, especially in war, and they believe it themselves. A lot of them, and they're they end up 
in situations like that, you know, uh, and, and sometimes they get killed and they have no idea that, uh, you know, in their last breath, they'll curse Russia as a Ukrainian soldier standing over them um, who, who just shot them, you know. Um, go to the CNN one there, Scotty, uh, to see if you can get it to, to play. Um, what are you doing? Just responding to somebody on the chat there. CNN. Where's CNN? I just sent it to you. Ah. See if that'll play. No, uh, no. Is that one of those stupid scenes? Anyway, that's another one. Russians turned barrel of their tank on reporters trying to get out. Um, that was, I mean, you can see that, I, th- I think you can see that it's a Russian tank or whatever, but the point is, these people are leaving uh, this is uh, it's an ITN. He's actually an Irish guy, John Irvine, ITN reporter, and CNN carried it. And um, the Russians are worried. They eventually let them through, but they're concerned probably that and I know there's another tactic of the Ukrainians is that Ukrainian special forces will be in the cars of who, who, the, the few that they let out or few that get out. They'll be in cars. Without electricity, water or fuel, we could no longer report from inside Mariupol. So we decided to join what would be the last convoy to escape. The city has a large Greek community and Athens had tried to secure safe passage for a ragtag of Greek diplomats, citizens and foreign journalists. With Mariupol just five miles behind us, tanks suddenly appeared in the mist. We hoped they were Ukrainian, but they were not. We filmed the Russians as surreptitiously as possible. I can count four Russian tanks. Thankfully, the crews at the minute appear to be quite relaxed. They're not shooting at you. Uh, Somebody from our lead vehicle has gone to have a chat to convince them that we are who we say we are an innocent convoy leaving Mariupol for safety you can see the Z on one side of one of the tanks I can anyway they're definitely Russians at one point the tank turret turned our way (gasps) We were staring down the barrel. It's not clear what spooked them, but something definitely did. And suddenly some of the Russian soldiers to the right and left of the tank were kneeling and aiming their rifles at our convoy. Yeah. I'll tell you why. It's pretty obvious. Stupid. uh... Thankfully, the situation eventually calmed down. They then checked our IDs, searched our vehicles, and allowed us to proceed. Okay. It took a while Scary. to drive so, through. So why do you think they'll be doing that? Because Mariupol is completely... Anything coming out of Mariupol at the moment, especially in that situation, can't be trusted. No, yeah, well, no, the point being that they probably already have experience, and they're checking, and this guy can't draw that conclusion because he's, he's an idiot and he's a noob basically and he's just you know <sighs> um, like I just said some of those cars in the convoy are full of multiple cars in the convoy like that are full of Ukrainian 
military personnel who are driving along and waiting to ambush a checkpoint like that to see, you know, Russian forces stationed outside. They just jump out and start shooting at them and kill a bunch of them. Right. So you, you know, why do you, why do the, why are the Russians suspicious of the cars? Why are they checking all the cars? Because that's that's a tactic of the of the Ukrainians. So it's 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 a no brainer. But to 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 then to then kind of parlay that into, you know, this means that the Russians are shooting civilians is nonsense. You know what I mean? It's just it's yeah. so it's so ignorant and so stupid and. and it, it exposes a complete ignorance of, of how war actually happens and, and the intricacies of war and the, the dirty tactics and all that kind of stuff, you know, because it's all about good guys and bad guys, right? Shiny white good guys and the evil black bad, bad guys, you know? And it's just ridiculous. The reporting on it is absolutely ridiculous. It's like a child's version of war. And that's what you're getting from the Western media. And, of course, on that point, and just before we carry on, throw up a few of those JPEGs I sent you, Scotty. This is from... Because war is bad, right? Everybody knows this war is really bad, and any war—well, we think any war is bad, or well, maybe not every—not every war is bad, right? At least it hasn't been in the past. If you just throw up—I uh, don't know—throw up Washington, Washington. That's actually an important uh, point. Just before we carry on, Chicken Kiev is re- being renamed. That's a serious blow to um, supermarket chain Sainsbury's is renaming its Chicken Kiev. Not cha- you think it's renaming? No, it's not. It is renaming it, but it's reflecting. It's changing it from K I E V to K-Y-A-V, K-Y-I-V, to reflect the Ukrainian spelling. That's a serious blow by Sainsbury's uh, supermarket chain in the UK. And it's also <clears throat> dumping Russian standard vodka and Russian sunflower she- seeds from its shelves. So that'll be, if there's one thing that brings down the Russian, Russian government and the whole Russian uh, effort in Ukraine, it may well be that. But carry on to Washington, that JPEG. In the long run, wars make us safer and richer. This is 2014. Mm. Uh, I remember that. <clears throat> go to US bombs. 1998. American bombs make Iraq stronger. Yep. New York Times. And then screenshot. Is that screenshot? Oh, sorry. There's only, I only give you two, didn't I? No, get e- Econ. Econ. <clears throat> Economist. When's it from? Don't know. A heart-rending but necessary war. That's about Iraq. It's from 2001. Afghanistan. Yep. Right. See, that's the kind of narrative right there. I mean, contrast that with what you're getting today. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So some wars are good, according to America, and some wars are bad. It just depends who's doing the fighting. If yeah. America's launching a war, it's always good. It's heart-rending but necessary. But... It makes us richer and it makes the people we're bombing stronger. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what else are we looking at? Well, let's do the, let's do the Washington Post uh, article. Just to give you a background on this, to show just how manipulated you are being and have been over the past months. This is from today. As war loomed, the U.S. armed Ukraine to hit Russian aircraft, tanks, and prep for urban combat, declassified shipment list shows. Um, So the United States drastically enhanced its shipments of lethal military aid and protective equipment to Ukraine as the prospect of a Russian invasion became more apparent and then a reality, according to declassified accounting of transfers and seals reviewed by the Washington Post. The list indicates that as early as December... The Pentagon was shipping Ukrainian fighters with 
was equipping Ukrainian fighters with arms and equipment useful for fighting in urban areas, including shotguns and specialized suits to safeguard soldiers handling unexploded ordnance. Past week, they've increased it. Stinger anti-aircraft missiles for the first time and further augmenting Kiev's supply of anti-tank javelin missiles and other ammo. Um, so this is December, so what's that, three months ago? Mm. So three months ago, when the whole Russian build-up was just really beginning kind of thing or just getting, getting going, uh, the US was already sending equipment to Ukraine for in, adv- in preparation for urban warfare. Yeah. So they knew exactly what I was going to happen. Remember what Putin said at the time. He told Macron, I think in December, um, that, please, this needs to stop. Weapons are being dumped into Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And that's when he said, I want a parlay, I want to talk, I want guarantees that you will not do something in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Now, who did it first? They're presenting it as if the Americans did this in response to obvious signs of an invasion from Russia. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But the stuff they're talking about means that they knew Russia would be have overwhelming superiority. Ukraine would never win this war. Mm-hmm. But they could make a hell of a mess for Russia if they dumped anti-aircraft and anti-tank shoulder-held stingers, javelins, laws into Ukraine, as many as possible. Now, that report says not something just, like... Not just that. They could make a hell of a mess for the Ukrainian people, not for Russia. Yes. Primarily for the Ukrainian people. Because what does urban warfare imply? Urban warfare means going in urban areas and attacking, fighting, shooting uh, between two forces, right? The Russians and the Ukrainians. But that will only happen. Russia would only do that if it had to do it. And the reason it would have to do it is because there were civilians in the buildings. So that them, them prepping the Ukrainians for urban warfare is evidence that they were also planning and are probably advising the Ukrainian government, not that they need much advising, to not let Ukrainian civilians out. If America wanted to and the Europeans wanted to, they could put pressure on the Ukrainian government to make sure that humanitarian corridors that Russia has proposed were open and as many people as necessary left that particular area. But they're not doing that. And instead, months ago, they were planning for urban warfare. And like I said, urban warfare requires, in this context, requires there to be civilians in major cities. Yeah. Because there won't be any urban warfare if there's no civilians in it. If it's just a bunch of Ukrainian military ensconced in civilian buildings that are otherwise empty, they'll be blown up yeah. from the air or from a, a, a great distance away. Yeah. Yeah, I think that this was key to understanding why... Putin and the Russian government just they gave up seeing this as the pretense of this is us and Ukraine this is a proxy war this is Syria all over against the Pentagon and the British armed forces this is a proxy war between the United States, Great Britain primarily and the Russian government in Ukraine it's being directed from the Pentagon and London Mm -hmm. it's being funded, fueled Mm -hmm. etc etc the propaganda is all from the sock puppets, cyber warfare divisions in the United States, in the United Kingdom. That's why they just didn't care. Okay, you win the info war. Go ahead. Tell the world whatever you want. We know what we're up against. Mm-hmm. And we're going to carry on. T- talk to us about that southern gentleman. Southern God gentleman. Mighty. Lindsey Graham yesterday said something incredible. He basically called for Putin's assassination. 
indirectly by the smart southern gentleman that he is made a clever, in quotes, reference to Julius Caesar's assassination by pleading, are there any Brutuses there in Russia? Or maybe a Colonel Stauffen, whatever his name was, the, the guy who attempted to, to assassinate Hitler at the end of World War II. Any Brutuses in Russia? He's basically called for Putin to be assassinated. The, since then, you know, the U.S. government's officials said, no, 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 we don't support this. Don't be doing that. Even Boris Johnson, no, no, no. But he's doubled down. Lindsey Graham doubled down. He went on Fox yesterday. Mm -hmm. Do you want to hear what he said? Yep. God. Um, he's channeling his old buddy. John McCain. John McCain. He so does, always has reminded me of an old, of Cato. Mm -hmm. Him and McCain both, it's, it's, it's hard to say who channeled him more, you know. Mm -hmm. um, let's have a listen first, then we'll, we'll talk about history. Well, thank you for having me. I spoke to the Ukrainian ambassador uh, earlier today. Uh, your voice is breaking through. Uh, after I listen to your program every night, Putin needs a longer table. Uh, here's what I would say. I've been a military prosecutor, defense attorney, judge for 30-something years. Uh, I'm going to introduce a resolution next week. I'll give it to you on your show, declaring that Putin is a war criminal. It's clear to me the world would be better off if the Russian people took Putin out tonight. The war in Ukraine would end and Russia would have freedom they don't enjoy today. A steel curtain has descended upon the Russian people. Ooh, a steel what curtain. does that tell me? That Putin is afraid of his own people. Martial law has been virtually declared by Putin. I think the uh, Russian people are not buying what Putin is selling when it comes to the Ukraine. And if the Ukrainian people continue to fight as brave as they are, I think eventually the dam will break in Russia. But I want to say this crystal clear, without apology, without equivocation, the world would be better off if Putin were gone tonight. And the best way to end this war is not American boots on the ground, but for the Russian people to rise up, reclaim the honor of their country, and take this guy out, Putin, by any means necessary. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand this war, and you don't understand the world yeah, in which right. we live. I don't what an idiot. <clears throat> Thank uh, you, Lindsay, for explaining to us the world in which we live. Yeah, from Lindsay's, of course, from Lindsay's brain. He doesn't realize it. But what he gives away is that he is in the position of, in historical terms, one of the optimates, one of the uh, establishment people in the late Roman Republic mm -hmm. who hated Julius Caesar with a passion. And of course, Julius Caesar has come down to us today in history as an evil tyrant, right? He's the guy who turned Rome from a, a beautiful democratic republic, in quotes, into a tyrannical empire. It's total BS, of course. Right. Anyone who's actually looked at Caesar and looked at what uh, what he really did what, versus what, what he really said, he he always did what he said we were going to do. His actions always matched his words. He's actually a remarkable man in history for for that fact. Right there, you've got this. You do indeed have a historical parallel with Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. His speeches from day one, his actions from day one, his warnings from day one are 
unbelievably consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lindsey Graham, it's, it's, he doesn't know it, but it, it's, it's a glorious moment actually in, in clarifying the significance of what is going on mm-hmm. here. For those with eyes to see. For those with eyes to see, it's not obviously the same. This is not a standoff. This is not a civil war within the empire per se. This is an outside, mm-hmm. uh, another is, historical parallel, I suppose. Well, it's, they call it a civil war, right? But it was basically Caesar um, deciding that the, the corrupt optimates, the corrupt elite at the time had to go, that they were working against the interest of the, of the people and the country, the empire at the time, or the... Uh, and 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 they and they they had to go basically, and he was taken. well. He wasn't so. It ended up being like so. Right. He was never so total. Look at how Putin treated oligarchs. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely drew a line with some yeah. of them. He may indeed have uh, ultimately been the arbiter of whether one or two of them lives or dies. Who knows? But he definitely drew a line in terms of, no, you will pay taxes. Yes, exactly. You, you can do whatever you want up to limits. Right. Caesar did the same thing. He never said the, the optimates, the establishment is going to go. I'm going to uproot everything. They hated him for more, far more ideological reasons. He was never going to take all their money and just disperse it to all his soldiers. No, but he was taking power away from them and, and their ability to, to, to dictate the course of the country or the world. At that time, the Roman yeah. world, you know, he, he stepped in and took control, took power. Yeah. And, uh, and that, in a way, on a global scale, is, it's, a, it's a check at the very least in terms of what Putin is doing. It's crossing the Rubicon, right? That's when, when, That's when, another, when yeah. Caesar crossed. That's what they've been using. And it really is that on, on a global scale where it's a kind of like a step that has been made where it's pushing back against the established orders of the, the corrupt established um, powers of the day and, and taking a step across a line where it's like... You're set on a course there where there's a clash coming and it's going to be difficult and bloody and stuff, but who knows and who's going who's gonna to yeah. prevail at the end of it. But and yeah. in, in the case of Rome, Caesar prevailed and they're using the same terminology here. Right. And, um, and even Lindsey Graham, he didn't say it in that video, but he said, is there no Brutus in, uh, in you know, So he's basically saying, you're like Caesar. Yeah. I don't know if he's saying that to himself, but he's basically saying, you're like Caesar and we want to kill you. And they ultimately did kill him. Well, he may well, he may well intend that, but he has the establishment history of Caesar. Mm-hmm. He, has, he sees it from the optimist perspective. Right, of course, yeah. So for him, Caesar actually is an evil dictator who should right. have been taken down. Right. You know what I mean? There, there's another overlapping historical reference that also involves another Cato. Cato the Younger was the grandson of Cato the Elder. Cato the Younger hated Julius Caesar with a passion so demented he killed himself twice rather than... Well, I have to explain how he killed himself twice. Then. He was basically in um, North Africa, in Roman territory there, um, with Pompey's army, I believe. By this time, Rome had more or less polarized into ex- two extreme factions. They were... I think civil war had broken out and Caesar had Caesar's army and Pompey's army. And Cato was there with Pompey's, Pompey's army in North Africa. And rather than be, um, rather than lose, rather than be taken, I think, after Caesar's army won a battle, he killed himself. Um, committed suicide, I think, by sl- slicing his belly open, you know, Japanese style. Harakiri. Uh, his attendants stitched him up and he was going to live. He was surviving the night. And he woke up out of his... He came to suddenly, uh, 
being unconscious. He ripped off the stitches and his gut spilled over the floor. And supposedly, and this was probably apocryphal, it's not literally what he said, but his dying words were something like, he cursed Caesar for all eternity mm-hmm. or something like that. Basically, I will never go over to his view of the world, mm-hmm. what he wants to do. But objectively, what Caesar wanted was a fairer, better world mm-hmm. for all Romans and non-Roman subjects alike. Mm-hmm. He wasn't really about to like, it wasn't a Bolshevik thing where he was going to liquidate all the elites and disperse their funds no. to feed the poor. Yeah. He just thought, let's have a, a more equitable mm-hmm justice-based world where yep. justice means something i'm going to instantiate which is what it won't just be words anymore fancy democratic flourish and speeches and cicero bullshitting in the senate which is what putin has yeah. been arguing for for many years now arguing against the unipolar world advocated by america and for a more multipolar world where different countries have equal rights and uh, get more respect and you don't have to kowtow to the exceptional nation America. That's to the what, bully. Yeah. yeah. So, One more historical comparison. That was Cato the Younger. His grandfather was Cato the Elder. Um, equally insane. And like, it made me think of how the, the generational thing on. of McCain. McCain's father was the U.S. Admiral. I think one of the ships, I think the ship, the USS McCain, is actually named after his father. Mm-hmm. His grandfather was also up there too. I mean, it's a generational thing. Anyway, Cato's grandfather, he's the one who's famous for coining the term uh, Carthago delenda est, Mm -hmm. Latin for Carthage must die. Mm -hmm. And what it was, it was in the lead up to the Third Punic War between the last big rival in the Mediterranean region uh, against Rome, which was Carthage in In modern day Tunisia. And in the lead up, pushing for this war, he was advocating for it. In the lead up to it, he was signing off all his speeches in the Senate with Carthage Delenda S. Carthage must die. And indeed, he got his wish. Uh, if the official history is correct, you know, it was literally wiped off the map. Mm-hmm. Salt of the earth. And it's that kind of, <clears throat> yeah, it's, that's for salt of the earth. It was that kind of, you know, just total, I, total evisceration of your foe, of your enemy. An ideological possession. An ideological possession. And that makes me think of today, this, this, Unofficial declaration of war on all things Russia, its, fr- its borders, geographical frontiers, its people, its culture, its music, its arts, its, its cats. cats, its trees its I've food. been hearing, everything. It's like as, as uh, the, the, the head of um, the guy who runs uh, Gab.ai has said, no, we're not going to be banning um, uh, Sputnik and... Uh, RT, they can have a platform here on our on our social media platform. As he put it very well in his statement about this, the the system or whatever the empire is trying to deplatform Russia mm-hmm. from this cancelled culture, yeah, cancelled culture to the extreme. Yeah. Well, speaking of Lindsay, put up uh, just for a bit of historical context. So again, this is very important. People understand where this came from. This didn't come out of nowhere. Uh, it, it's a Twitter link, Scotty. Mrs. T one hundred six. Um, it didn't come out of nowhere. Everybody, you're led to believe that it came out of nowhere, but it didn't. It didn't just happen in the past week or in the past couple of months. Um, this is from um, Mrs. T. Twitter.com, MRST106. Uh, it's second in the list. Ah, there it is. Um... This is from 2016, and it, again, it's that Southern gentleman and old Ironsides himself. Um, 
John McCain. Go ahead. Your fight is our fight. 2017 will be the year of offense. All of us will go back to Washington and we will push the case against Russia. Enough of a Russian aggression. It is time for them to pay a heavier price. I believe you will win. I am convinced you will win, and we will do everything we can to provide you with what you need to win. I almost it's a lobby and another I almost blood wish. brothers or something uh, so that's an example 2016 um, Lindsey Graham and John McCain basically talking to the Ukrainian military saying we will go back to Washington and we will push for uh, more more weapons, more supplies for you, enough of Russian aggression, you know, basically declaring war at that point via the Ukrainian army on Russia Yeah. in 2016. So anybody who's just waking up to this now, you know, get a grip. Yeah. This has been in the, in the making for many years. I almost wish McCain and Brzezinski were still alive to see this. Well, speaking of Brzezinski, go to the YouTube... Uh, Almost wish. Go to the YouTube link just after that. It's, uh, I don't know, Anthony There you go. This is just this is just to put side by side with that. And for people to understand, we'll understand. You can kind US of jump National forward, Security Scotty, Advisor Brzezinski flew to Pakistan no, to set about rallying resistance. That their struggle will succeed. Of their deep belief in... We know of their deep belief in God, and we are confident that their struggle will succeed. That land over there is yours. You'll go back that to land it one day because your fight will prevail, and you'll have your homes and your mosques back again because your cause is right and God is on your side. Your fight against the Russians... I mean, it's parallel. It's yeah, yeah, thirty years between those two. With the and uh, here you have U.S. The who was Secretary of State at the time, whatever. For as much and as long. Yeah, ignore him. Um, and the only difference between then and today is that Russia has probably prepared, taken into account that Ukraine is full of anti-aircraft equipment. Well, it's, it's has, being, has been filled up, yeah, uh, and is in the process of being f- filled up. But that's ex- it's exactly the same. You know, we, Brzezinski saying, you know, to the Afghans, you know, that land over there that the Russians took is yours and your f- fight is just and we will supply you with all the weapons you need to take down the Russian army in Afghanistan. And, and 30 years later, Lindsey Graham and John McCain uh, were saying exactly the same thing in 2016 and then jump forward to today and Lindsey Graham is saying uh, somebody needs to assassinate Putin. So, you know, if, you don't, if you're not able to look at this from a Russian perspective and you're not able to understand the history behind it, then forget about it. You know, okay, go ahead and bullshit on Twitter all you want and say, you know, I stand with Ukraine and buy a T-shirt and stuff like that. Feel free. But, you know, we in the reality-based community like to understand what's actually going on and that invariably, invariably involves 
understanding the history behind it and the context. Um, and that's what we do here. So, uh, yeah. Let's have a look now what the French government said last week. French Foreign Minister Bruno Le Maire last week stated, we are waging total economic and financial war on Russia. We will bring about the collapse of the Russian economy. He subsequently backtracked and said he didn't quite mean it like that. It was too late. AFP had already put out this handy little picto, pictograph of his statements. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, that's what I mean. It's Russia de lenda est. It's total. Um, we'll, we'll see what they can do, what, what actually transpires. But the, the mentality in Western capitals is it's on full display. Like, it's kind of, it, I suppose it makes our job a bit easier because we've been saying this for years that they're nuts. But it's like, yeah, it's on full display now. Yeah. The intentions laid bare, the actual targets are clear. It always has been Russia. At least as far as these issues are concerned, as Syria was partly about Iran as well. Afghanistan forty years ago. I mean, look what Afghanistan led to: mm-hmm. the Mujahideen, Al Qaeda, ISIS. Yep. Um, yeah, they're talking about, uh, and of course, uh, Zelensky and oh, did I get that one? Maybe it's on my Twitter feed. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um. Zelensky, sorry, I just thought of something. Um, Zelensky and all the rest of them are talking, and Ukraine are, are, are shouting about a new f- no-fly zone. They oh, want the West imposing yeah. no-fly no zone, you know. Mm. Um, obviously, anybody with any sense whatsoever knows that no-fly zone isn't possible because it means going to war with Russia, and the West doesn't have the balls to go to war with Russia. Um, let me just throw up that video I just sent you, Scotty. Um, this is from 2016, again, around the time McCain and, and um, Graham were over big up in the the Ukrainians that they were going to fight against Russia. They were going to help them fight against Russia. Uh, this is about Syria. And it's, again, John McCain in Congress harassing General Dunford, who at the time was the chief of staff of something or other. Uh, go ahead and play. And if he's successful, that would be a good thing. You ask the chairman if he has anything to add. Senator, the only thing I'd say is, you know, as the situation on the ground changes, I think I have a responsibility, we, the Joint Force, has a responsibility to make sure the President has a full range of options. We have discussed that issue in the past under certain conditions. The conditions on the ground will change, and we'll continue to look at those options and make sure they're available to the President. What about the option of controlling the airspace so that that barrel bombs cannot be dropped? All all the options. That's a good uh, option. What do you think of that option, sir? Uh, right now, Senator, for us to control all of the airspace in Syria would require us to go to war against Syria and Russia. Huh? That's Why a don't we? pretty fundamental decision that certainly I'm not going to make. What do you mean? What are you talking about? To impose a no-fly zone. Chairman, Chairman could I for a second say just to answer? To impose no, no. a no-fly zone. That's not, that's not what I said, Chairman. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, uh, yeah, I do think what, what the senator asked me was to control all of the airspace. No, what he asked was, should we have a no-fly zone I, so we can protect these people from I, being slaughtered? I, That's what he's talking about. I answered about. that first. That's what we're all talking about. That's so that would not require going to war full scale, would it? 
Not necessarily, mm-hmm. Senator. I, I'm not sure. I'm going to try to answer the first question probably. first, and then I was responding to the second part of your question. But that, I, just, I did not mean to say that imposing a no-fly zone would require us to go to war. That's not the question I was answering. Thank you. Just, Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I just, I just love McCain and that. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. No All I'm asking for is a little no-fly zone. You see why and, I wish you still alive to see and, this. And <laughs> all I want, and you say we're going to go to war with Russia. The Russians are nothing. The Russians are it's just a gas station, a big one, big giant gas station. I just want you to impose a no-fly zone where I want you to impose a no-fly zone, and you tell me you can't do it. That's pathetic, General. I'm out of here. I'm in it. I'm in it for the children, just like Nancy Pelosi. For the children, I do it for the children. Oh, my God. For the children. For the children. Oh, God, you actually... For the children. Don't do that. We need to have our face when you're doing that as well. Um, (laughs) Interesting. um, Actually, do you want... Yeah, go ahead. The French government stopped, physically stopped, Ukrainian members of its foreign legion who were prepped and ready to go to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. They actually stopped them from doing so. Similarly, Berlin is at least strongly discouraging um, any Germans thinking of going. They have a f- there's a video I've seen of a Polish German volunteer. I think, no, nah, he wasn't. He was Polish. Anyway, uh, interviewed in Poland. He's about to cross the border, he claims. But there's one government in Europe that is encouraging its civilians to go still. Into Ukraine, the, Brits. the British government. And, and hapless Brits are just, they're doing it. They're turning up there. They're being interviewed <coughs> on the Polish side anyway. Have you got one? I don't actually, know. Anyway, well, um, we don't need to see those people. Um, Zelensky claims that 16,000 foreign, vol- foreign citizens have volunteered. Yeah, maybe. That's probably, an, an, again, an exaggeration. Uh, but just talking about... <coughs> Uh, generals and their assessments of things. I mean, the, the, the military brass tends to have a, obviously a more objective uh, assessment of things for the most part than ideologically possessed politicians like McCain and Lindsey Graham and uh, and the rest of them. But uh, just go to the Twitter Twitter. It's kind of like Vic Top Vic Top Fifty Five. Um, there's a guy. His name is um, Douglas McGregor, and. We'll talk about him in a minute, but here's a little... He was on Fox News, and he gives... It's the second time he's been on Fox News talking about this. This is the second interview. Just a short few minutes, but he really... You know, he's the only one making any sense, and it's weird that it's, again, some Fox News, though it's not weird anymore, but uh, historically it's very strange to see any sense about military affairs in U.S., military adventures abroad coming from a general on Fox News. Historically, that's not where you find right. ob- objective uh, well, the world opinions. has changed. Yeah. Just let's have a listen. The uh, first five days, uh, Russian forces, I think, frankly, were too gentle. Uh, they've now corrected that. So I would say another 10 days, this should be completely over. But the question is, uh, what is it that Zelensky is going to do? The Russians have made it very clear what they want is a neutral Ukraine. This could have ended days ago if he accepted that. And then they can adjust the borders. But the eastern part of Ukraine is firmly in Russian hands. But again, the Russians are not seizing territory. They're destroying Ukrainian forces. That's their focus. Colonel, it sounds like you don't approve of Zelensky's stand. (gasps) Oh, I think Zelensky is a puppet. uh, And he is... 
putting huge numbers of his own population at unnecessary risk. And uh, quite frankly, most of what comes out of Ukraine is debunked as lies within 24 to 48 hours. The yep. notions well, of taking and retaking airfields, all of this is nonsense. It hasn't happened. He's not a, a hero when he's standing up for himself and his own <laughs> people. You don't think he's a hero? No, I, I do not. I don't see anything heroic about the man. And I think the most heroic thing that he can do right now is to come to terms with reality. Neutralize Ukraine. <clears throat> this is not a bad thing. A neutral Ukraine would be good for us as well as for Russia. It would create the buffer that, frankly, both sides want. But he's, I think, being told to hang on and, and try to drag this out, which is tragic for the people that have to live through this. I'm inclined to disagree with you, Colonel, but, um, you know, we see how this works out. Colonel Douglas McGregor, tough guy. Thanks for being with us, sir. We'll see you again tough soon. Tough guy. Thank you. <laughs> what was that about, tough guy? guy. <sighs> anyway, what about Douglas McGregor? What's his... What's no, his he's just... Of? I mean, you look him up. He's a, he's a retired U.S. Army colonel, government official. He was involved in the, Iraq, the first Iraq war. Years of service. He's up in service in the military up until 2004. Um, he's got a pretty... You know, he kind of seems... Knows what he's talking about, and, and he seems to have a good track record. He's a... Um, um, he was in, yeah, he was in the first Iraq War. He, uh, what what was the term? Um, Desert Storm. No, uh, breaking the phalanx. He published. Uh, he, he became prominent inside the army when he published "Breaking the Phalanx," which argued for radical reforms which was rare in that an active duty military author was challenging the status quo with detailed reform proposals for the reorganization of U.S. Army ground troops. Um, so, but it got, he, I mean, he was, you know, he was recognized as a, a, a kind of forward, kind of smart thinker, basically. And, and mm. um, I mean, there's a, there's a, this is on his Wikipedia page, basically. Um, in... Uh, <laughs> He, there were some military exercises or something that he did where he basically he did it was more, more than once but he basically um, uh, November nineteen ninety three exercise at the Army's National Training Center at Fort Irwin Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel McGregor's unit vastly outperformed his peers against the opposition force. The series of five battles usually ended in four losses and a draw for the visiting units. McGregor's unit won three, lost one, and drew one. So, you know, I don't know if he put that up himself or whatever, but you know what I mean? I mean, that based on his assessment of the situation which is uh, in, in Ukraine right now, is, 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 which is, you know, yeah. seems to be much more objective than any, anybody else's take on it, and his kind of history at being, you know... He's, he he's, probably he's, thinks like a Russian. He, knows what, he, talk, he knows, what he's, knows what he's talking about, basically. He probably thinks like a Russian. Probably. I mean that in the, the good sense of that. Because if you think back at how the U.S. conducted its wars, I mean, the, well, how many how many did they lose in Iraq? Officially, it was five thousand. Yeah, probably. But that like was probably way understated. Thirty or forty. I mean, they they absolutely botched it. I mean, I'm not just everyone knows they botched it strategically because what was the point of it all in the end? But I mean, from the military point of view, um, yeah, it's it, the waste is just unbelievable. The waste of U.S. lives, uh, the waste of Resources, of course, Iraqi civilians as well, and yeah, that applies to Britain as well. Guess who's calling for Nuremberg trials for the Russian government? Gordon Brown and Tony Blair. Oh, Tony Blair, Sir Anthony, 
Nuremberg trial for Tony all by himself. A special Nuremberg trial just for Tony Blair. Uh, yeah. Did you see the... Um just in terms of like... I just want to back up the, uh, the, the Ukraine uh, or the, the video you saw with... Uh, What's his face, McCain and um, Graham talking about uh, we're going back to Washington. That was 2016. We're going back to Washington to get more weapons and train you, and you're going to fight the Russians and the end of the end of Russian aggression. This is a defense one, which is a kind of military website from 2017. So it's published 2017, and the title is "In Ukraine: The U.S. Trains an Army in the West to Fight in the East." For more than two years, some 300 American soldiers have been quietly helping train an enormous partner military in western Ukraine. So basically, since 2015, so the U.S. has been training, ar- arming, and funding... Funding, because Ukraine is broke. ...the Ukrainian military for, at this point, six years, which is what we said. And the whole point of that, which is what the Russians have said, the reason that the thing that precipitated this... Uh, Russian incursion into because it's not an invasion; it's an incursion. They're not going to stay uh, like America stays in countries. What precipitated it was the clear evidence that after six years of training the Ukrainian military, the Ukrainian military, under direction effectively of the U.S., was going to try and overrun Eastern Ukraine, Donbass region, with ethnic Russians and Russian speakers, and a lot of them actually Russian citizens at this point and Crimea, and lay waste to the place. And Russia said, that's not going to happen. You're not allowed to attack and kill your own people, still officially. Yeah. So we're going to go into the country and, and make sure you don't get to do that. That's simply what they're doing. So it's, a, it's, more, it's far more of a just war than any war that the U.S. has waged or U.S. and its allies have waged, waged in the past 30 years, put it that way. Um. Yeah, Zelensky, cokehead. Have you seen the videos of him? Yeah. Which one? A recent one. Uh, yeah, he's either drunk or he's on drugs. Well, the way he's like, yeah, there's one I, I can't, I can't find it right now. But uh, he's just, he's always like, you know, um, you know, sniff, you know, rubbing his nose and wide-eyed, and uh, um, there's one in particular somewhere that really kind of makes it. It's like a hundred percent. He's a, he's a. A cokehead, like you know, a regular cokehead, basically. And this is the hero of uh, Ukraine. This is the one that all the women in the world supposedly have a crush on now, right? Because right. he's, he's a fucking cokehead. Um. Anyway, um. Yeah. So just about the the other aspect of all of this is um. Russia's claim, what demilitarization, but it was also denazification. Denazification. Let's go to, here's some Wikipedia pages, just to update you on the kinds of people in the system, in control, particularly of the military and, you know, government policy in Ukraine. Go to Troyan, uh, Scotty, but did I send you those? I think I sent you those, didn't I? Adam Troyan? Um, no, I didn't. Maybe I didn't no. send you those, actually. I'm going to send to you now. Um, oh, shit. Oops. Uh so this just, we're just going to look at some of the people. And this is just a quick look because to try and give you a, a kind of an overview. But 
it, it's so complex and there's a web of these kinds of people and these kinds of organizations in in Ukraine, in positions of power in Ukraine. So these are these are Wikipedia pages. This guy Vadim Troyan. Um if you just go down well actually at the top actually, I think. Uh Ukrainian government official and military leader who is currently the chief of police for the Kiev region. He was formerly the deputy commander of the, of the Azov Battalion, right? So he's the chief of police. And if you go down to the bottom of his short enough entry, second line from the bottom, at present time, he continues to work on the position of the head of the main department of the Ministry of Interior of Ukraine in the Kiev region. Obviously, that's like a, it's not the minister, he's not the minister of the interior, but he's obviously in a localized position of that in the Kiev region. Uh, and but of note, there uh, before this, before he took these jobs, he was a commander of the Azov Battalion. Um, you probably know what the Azov Battalion is, do you? Uh, just why don't you just type in Azov Battalion, Scotty, in Wikipedia? There, there you go, second one. So he, this guy who is now the chief of police in. Kiev and in the Ministry of the Interior in the Ki- in Kiev region, obviously that puts him in a position right now, in the context of what's happening right now, in a position of influence. Um, he was former deputy uh, commander of the Azov Battalion. The Azov Battalion is, uh, second paragraph, in 2014 the regiment gained attention after allegations of torture and war crimes, as well as neo-Nazi sympathies and usage of associated symbols by the regiment. As, as seen in their logo featuring the wolf's angle, one of the original symbols used by the 2nd SS Panzer Division, Das Reich. Um, as of, where are we going now? Let's go down to, uh, under National Guard, under the subheading National Guard. It's about uh, about the middle. Yeah, go on down. Yeah. National Guard. As of late March 2015, let me see that one. Yeah, the bigger paragraph. As of late March 2015, despite the second ceasefire agreement in Minsk, which is Minsk two, the Azov Battalion continued to prepare for war with the group's leaders, seeing the ceasefire as appeasement. In March 2015, Interior Minister Arsen Avakov announced that the Azov Regiment would be among the first units to be trained by United States Army troops in their Operation Fearless Guardian. Fearless Guardian, training missions. That's something we just referenced before in the training by U.S. forces of these types. The U.S. here is training the Azov Battalion, which is an avowed, recognized, known neo-Nazi organization. U.S. training, however, was withdrawn on 12th of June 2015 as U.S. House of Representatives passed an amendment blocking any aid, including arms and training, to the battalion due to its neo-Nazi background. After the vote, Congressman John Coy... Conyers thanked the House, stating, I am grateful that the House of Representatives unanimously passed my amendments last night to ensure that our military does not train members of the repulsive neo-Nazi Azov Battalion, along with my measures to keep the dangerous and easily trafficked manpads out of these unstable regions. However, next paragraph, yeah. the amendment was later removed in November 2015, with the nation reporting that the, that the House Defense Appropriations Committee came under pressure from the Pentagon to remove the Conyers Yoho Amendment from the text of the bill. 
somewhere else search for, uh, well search search for Beletsky Scotty it's not very long but B I L E T S K Y there you go the regiment's first commander was Andrei Beletsky Beletsky stayed out of the public spotlight working on expand, expanding Azov to a battalion size in summer 2014 he took command of the unit in August 2014 he was awarded a military decoration order for courage by Ukrainian president Petro Poroshenko so this is he, this is Poroshenko who was kind of shunted into power effectively by the Americans and was the American darling after the coup in 2014. He awards this guy, the, the, the founder of this uh, neo-Nazi uh, batal- or battalion, basically, part of the Ukrainian military, with an order for courage. Um, <clears throat> and he was promoted to lieutenant colonel in the Interior Ministry's police forces. So again, this is a, the original, the founder of the guy, not the guy who's there now, but he, the guy mm-hmm. who's, who's the, the chief of police in the Kiev region was the deputy commander of this battalion. And then just according to the Daily... Is that part of the next... No, anyway, according to the Daily Telegraph, the Azov Battalion's extremist policies and professional English social media pages have attracted foreign fighters, including people from Brazil, Italy, United Kingdom, France, United States, Greece, Scandinavia, Spain, Slovakia, Czech Republic, and Russia. About 50 Russian nationals are members of the Azov Regiment. The group has used Facebook to recruit recruit far-right individuals from other countries within Europe. Get this. In 2019, under Facebook's dangerous individuals and organizations policy, support for the group was not allowed. Although this was temporarily relaxed during the 2022 Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, I got banned for five, six days from Facebook recently for putting up an image of that battalion with a, with a swastika. Right. So it was banned by Facebook. That battalion was banned. So me putting up a picture of them, well, support for them was banned. So me putting up a picture of them with uh, a swastika and saying something not nice about them on Facebook should have been cool with Facebook, right? right. Except that the ban on supporting them was temporarily lifted just recently, since Russia, since Russia's incursion into Ukraine, so therefore Facebook banned me for casting, throwing shade at the Nazi, at the right. neo-Nazi swastika carrying Azov battalion. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Good. You have to explain. If to you're me Facebook and you're part of the war against Russia, it's all justified. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Well, actually, that's not all. I've just got a little bit more. Um, Ehor. The interesting thing, just just as a, as an interesting side note, because so we're talking here about um, the Azov Battalion, right? We just described them, and this you can look it up yourself. Multiple over the years, multiple Western media have all descri- described this battalion as, and and there's something like you know fifteen thousand, twenty thousand of them, right, in the Ukrainian military. Um, the interesting thing is, throw that up, Scotty. Um, this guy, you know him? Yeah, he's the Ukrainian oligarch who's uh, behind Zelensky. Right. He is a former governor of the Dnipropetrovsk Oblast in Ukraine, second or third richest person in Ukraine. 
he's a leading partner in the Privat Group, which is um, and the Privat Bank is the biggest bank in Ukraine. Um, so just scroll down a little bit. Um, is it control? Um, yeah, governor of under governor of under Kolomoisky in Ukrainian politics. Um, down, yeah. On and under governor of, of that name, Oblast, third part, second paragraph. Second paragraph. In April 2014, Kolomoisky offered a bounty for the capture of Russian-backed militants and incentives for the turning in of weapons. He also is believed to have spent 10 million to create the Dnipro Battalion, uh, another fascist neo-Nazi type uh, organization in our group in the Ukrainian military, and also funded the Adar and Azov, blah 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 blah, volunteer battalions. So he, from the beginning, he actually funded these right-wing neo-Nazi. Battalions immediately with, within, March second, right within fourteen, right immediately after the coup, right yeah. set them up. Uh, but he's also a really, really prominent Jew. He's a prominent supporter of Ukraine, Ukraine's Jewish community. Well, if you can see under Jewish politics, just below there, president of the European Council of Jewish Communities. Um, although he was when he was appointed. Uh, it was described as a putsch and a Soviet-style takeover by other board members. Um, and he went away and founded the European Jewish Union. So he's like basically an uber Jew, right? He's a super Jew in the sense of he's super supportive of Jewish things. Right. <laughs> Jewish, whatever things Jewish, rich Jewish people get up to, right? Um, Jewish communities promoting Jewish uh, interests around the world, etc., etc. But at the same time, he's funding, uh, he has funded, he's the originator and the, the promoter of, well, he funded it from the very beginning, uh, the Azov Battalion, which, if you remember from the Wikipedia page on the Azov Battalion, the regiment gained attention after allegations of torture and war crimes as well as neo-Nazi sympathies. So what is a rich Jew in Ukraine doing, funding a neo-Nazi organization which has uber right-wing, white supremacist, anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic policies and attitudes. Can you explain that to me? Um, nobody can. <coughs> anyway, go down to the bottom on Kolomoisky, criminal investigation, just as a, a, a connection here. Um, in April 2019... It was reported that the FBI was investigating Kolomoisky over alleged financial crimes involving other businessmen um, in Florida, along with one of them in Florida, along with Kolomoisky's steel holdings in West Virginia and northern Ohio, northern Ohio, and his mining interests in Ghana and Australia. Legal findings from American prosecutors last year detailed how Kolomoisky allegedly used his control of Ukrainian's largest retail bank, Privat Bank, 
to loot staggering sums from Ukrainian depositors and then used a series of shell companies and offshore accounts to whisk the money out of the country and into... Switzerland. America. Okay. So this is the guy who funded, created the Azov, neo-Nazi Azov Battalion, which is part of the network within Ukraine of neo-Nazi, extreme right-wing, anti-Semitic, white supremacist, anti-Russian elements. He funded at least one part of it. And the U.S. has been training, arming, and funding them, along with others, in Ukraine to fight against the Russians, while this guy is embezzling staggering sums from Ukrainian people and taking it to America. Is there, does the word corruption the, spring corruption, up here anywhere? <clears throat> there's corruption and then there's Igor Kolomoisky. He's like... He's, but in terms of his connection with America and the American him. military and the American government and yeah. transferring vast amounts of money that he stole from and, Ukrainian citizens to America yeah. and fun, while, while, you know, while he's the originator of a neo-Nazi group that the Americans are funding in order to fight against Russian aggression. Yeah. It's crazy. It's almost like he knew this um, change they affected in 2014 would not last long term. So they decided they had to pilfer as much as they could as quickly as possible and then leave on the way out. It was going to come sooner or later this day. On the way out, we'll just like rig Ukraine with mines for the Russians, you know, mm -hmm. and we'll get away scot-free. I mean, Kolmoisky has an Israeli passport, a Swiss passport. He can go wherever he likes. It's untouchable. Right. Um, the, yeah, and there are several, you know, there are several, the Russians know what they're up to, but um, for Ukrainians, you know, They've been com hopelessly duped here. They've been completely hoodwinked. They, they were always several steps ahead of them. They basically helped bring about the Maidan, right. they, which the, the neo-Nazi groups themselves said would not have happened without us. It would have been, quote, to quote one of their leaders, it would have been a gay parade. But for us, the only reason it became Euromaidan and a success right. in forcing the regime to flee was because of us neo-Nazi groups. Right. So... From that, from that moment on, they knew, okay, we have a window of opportunity to pilfer. Ask Joe Biden. He knows about it too. His son, Burisma, mm -hmm. the going's good. Take it while you can. Biden's calmly in the White House. He's not you know, upset that he's lost his, his, his or whatever, whatever kickbacks uh, the big guy you know, in the Oval Office got because he knew it was a short-term change. They're always – and they show that they're a couple of steps ahead in thinking where it's going to lead to next, mm -hmm. as we just saw with the dumping of weapons in Ukraine in preparation for urban warfare as, uh, three months ago. They knew mm -hmm. it was coming. Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 it's gangsterism. And they believe that everyone else at the top certainly thinks like them and acts like them. It's just a matter of getting as much as you can while you can. Right. And yeah. Ukraine was just open ground. It was just like the going's good, the window's open, take it. And Russia is essentially trying to, well, to use their own terms now. Their own terms make sense now. We're not here to occupy it. We're here to normalize it so you can have a normal left-right spectrum that produces normal government that more or less has the interests of the collective whole, the mm -hmm. country mm -hmm. at heart, rather than these completely out-of-control people who are only doing what they're doing. And they're in the process, well, do they get exposure? Not really. Key. Maybe maybe people know 
people in Ukraine know about Kolomoisky, but he, he owns a lot can of can do media. nothing about it. They can't do anything about it. Just, it. It would always have taken someone big with an army to come and sort this out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, just, I mean, this again, I said that was just, that was the Azov Battalion, uh, the, the dude, uh, Vadim Troyan, who's the chief of police, who's part of, was part of the Azov Battalion, and is now, you know, working in the Interior Ministry and is in, in control in, to some extent, to one extent or another, of of the military response. A neo-Nazi in control of the, mil- of the military response or the, or the uh, security forces response to Russia um, in Ukraine, in Kiev. Uh, just throw up right sector there. You've heard of right sector. This is just a few, one or two of these kind of groups. There's many others. There's Svoboda and... Um, a bunch of others. Uh, right sector, just a quick description of it, is a right-wing to far-right Ukrainian nationalist neo-Nazi political party and paramilitary movement. Originated in November 2013, blah, 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 Euromaidan revolt in Kiev. Uh, just go to Dmitry Yarosh then. So this is the guy who led the right sector until he left. Uh, but the right sector, and the right sector then was incorporated into the Ukrainian military. Yeah. But, you know, as it, as it was, as it is, you know, I mean, the same ideology just gets absorbed straight into the Ukrainian military. But anyway, this guy, Dmitry Yarosh, who was the founder of that right sector, that neo-Nazi, fascist, uh, anti-Semitic, white supremacist organization in Ukraine, um, two th- uh, military and withdrawal from right sector, just scroll down, towards the bottom, it's, it's not very far, that one, yeah. Uh, second paragraph, in early April 2015, Ukraine's Defence Ministry announced that MP, he's a member of parliament as well, it was, Dmitry Yarosh, was to become an aide to the military chief, Viktor Muzenko, and that his right sector fighting group would be integrated into the armed forces of Ukraine. And then, so that was 2015, he was aide to the military chief, like i.e. the chief of the military forces in Ukraine. This is a, a right-wing, avowed right-wing neo-Nazi who's an aide or a, an advisor to the to the chief of the Ukrainian military. And then if you scroll down... Yeah, we don't have to scroll down. Second paragraph... Uh, third, last paragraph of government initiative of Yarosh. On November 2nd, 2021, Yarosh said on social media he'd been appointed advisor to the new commander-in-chief of the armed forces of Ukraine, Valery Zaluzny. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of people. I mean, so my point in just bringing all that up is there's and there's a lot more. There's many the ex- other groups is to validate to to show that the Russian claim of denazification mm. of the of the military or of the and, and political structures, power structures in Ukraine is not yeah. hot air. It's no. not some bullshit. It's, as the Western media tried to portray, yeah. this is some bullshit that he's talking about neo. Denazification. Ukraine's a democratic country. Yeah. Well, all you have to do is scratch the surface yeah. and you see on a bunch Wikipedia. of on Wikipedia. And you see Institutionalized Nazism in Ukraine right. is all over Wikipedia right. still. Maybe now that we pointed it out, that won't last much longer because they're, they're trying to rewrite this all over the place. That Ukraine on Fire documentary by Oliver Stone, they're trying to ban that everywhere. Uh, our copy of it got nixed last week. Yeah. On, on Vimeo, yeah. What do you know about Stefan Bandera? He's the guy behind all this, right? He, he's someone they lionize as he was a Ukrainian 
collaborator with the SS off, during World War Two. Uh, yeah, that's him there. That's his Wikipedia page. Um, Ukrainian politician and theorist of the militant wing of the far-right organization of Ukrainian nationalists and a leader and an ideologist of Ukrainian ultra-nationalists. Known for his involvement in terrorist activities. So there's not much. I mean, you can read about a Bandera. It should be fairly well known. But the only interesting thing about that is, uh, and how it, well, it obviously relates to today and everything we've just been saying, but PBS apparently <laughs> go to the, yeah, Alan R. McLeod uh, Twitter status. They did an interview with this guy who is a military leader in, in Kiev, um, Artem Semenkin, Semenkin, uh, presenting him as the title of, as again, the tweet said, presenting him as a hero for killing Russian invaders. And as it says there, if you just, well, you don't need to play it. Yeah. But basically blurred out behind him, slightly blurred out behind him, is a picture of the guy we were just looking at on uh, Wikipedia, Stefan, Stefan Bandera, who, as you just said, was uh, the original Ukrainian Nazi. And terrorist, basically, and this is the guy that PBS are. This is the guy that's on the wall behind a guy that PBS is interviewing as some kind of a hero against Russian aggression. <sighs> Everyone's a Nazi. Everyone's a Nazi <laughs> in Ukraine. It's, it's a significant number of people. And, and I suppose Putin's point was long-term, as this goes on and on, more and more Ukrainians would become like that, v- you know, violently Russophobic. Mm-hmm. Um, Whitney Webb has an article this week, Ukraine and the new Al-Qaeda, talking about these Nazi movements. Um, she was worried that um, this, could, this could devolve into something. If they do indeed have the 16,000 Zelensky claims want to join, Plus, who knows how how many others still in Western Ukraine that Russia has largely left untouched so far, mm-hmm. and where most of them reside, um, that Ukraine could turn into a Syria type situation where these guys are just conducting. As they was, <clears throat> they'll probably hope that the media will portray it as guerrilla warfare against the Russian occupier, but it's going to be far more like terrorism from people who are just totally off the leash. Terrorism against the civilian population, right? Um, shooting people when they don't obey, mm-hmm. uh, shooting journalists because they just don't know who they are, that kind of insane behavior. Um, the Russians have been publishing some of the POWs, photos of the tattoos of some of these guys, mm-hmm. and they have like <clears throat> tattoos all over them with kind of slogans from Nazi era, like from Buchenwald. Um, tattooed on their back mm-hmm. these guys they're not just like extreme ukrainian nationalists they explicitly refer to and mm-hmm. cite mm-hmm. the holocaust as good and uh, now they, they have a, a, a twist on it they, they specifically liked hitler's linking of the quote-unquote jewish problem with the moscovite bolshevik terror mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. far left problem mm-hmm. and so there's a blend there and there's some somewhere in there the western media has tried to cleanse on their behalf 
the Jewish references mm-hmm. and say, well, it comes to their Soviet history. You know, they were oppressed under the Soviet self. You can't blame them mm-hmm. for, you know, not ever trusting the Russians again mm-hmm. because of Soviet, you know, ideology. But it, it's not that. It's, it's once you get to this level, you can't, it can't, it can't be justified ideologically. No. no. And, and Except- Facebook doing this thing where it now accepts any mentions support. of Azov, so long as it's in support mm-hmm. against Russia. No wonder the Russian government, actually, I don't know if it was directly related to that, but they've now blocked Facebook mm-hmm. completely. And then Jen Psaki gets up there yesterday and she's like, yeah, this, this, that's, no, that, you shouldn't be doing that. Just yeah. block, you can't just block Facebook like that. Did you see? Yeah, no. Yeah. After they just fucking deplatformed the entire of Russia. No, yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it's shocking. Like, what? it's shocking hypocrisy, you know. Uh, <clears throat> Did you see? And did you see the Russians put out uh, basically made past new laws, or whatever, criminalizing with uh, big that fines. That was interesting. Big fines and years of possible years of prison for basically creating spreading or false disseminating fake news. fake news about the Russian incursion into Ukraine. And on the same day, yeah, BBC, CBC, CNN, Bloomberg. ABC, Bloomberg, etc., 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 all left basically yeah. stopped activities. They announced in they're closing all their operations right. in Russia. On the day that Russia yeah. says any fake newsers will be prosecuted and all the fake newsers leave, is that not? I mean, hello. Yeah. Um, yeah, just before we go, I found the, the Zelensky, uh, the hero of, the hero of uh, Ukraine. Uh, just throw him up there, that last one. Check this out. You tell me. Donc, euh, je vous dis tout de suite, avec Mme Merkel, nous n'avons pas pu en fait de l'Europe et l'occasion en fait de discuter, disons, la thématique a fait de l'OTAN. Non. Donc, si je vous madame, bien sûr, il y a pas mal de choses, il y a pas mal de choses. Donc, je vous dis tout de suite, avec Mme Merkel, nous n'avons pas pu en fait de l'Europe et l'occasion en fait de discuter, disons, la thématique a fait de l'OTAN. Non. 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 There's that, and have you seen the one where um, Kamala Harris, which one was it? She was, I think it's when she went to Europe. She's like, okay, come on, guys. Yeah. Let's sanction Russia. I mean, she was, uh, my thought was, she is coked to the gills. Or on something, yeah. Some, yeah. some kind of, uh, probably ketamine or something. You're uh, talking about going, we should, can I just say quickly what the, the latest Russian statements are? Um, yeah. From Putin himself. Um, Here's a piece of trivia before you do. On the very same day that all restrictions in the UK, all COVID, uh, uh, you probably want me not to mention COVID in the show. So I'm going to mention it very briefly. <laughs> would. On the very same day, that, on the very same day that all COVID restrictions were removed in the UK, Russia invaded Ukraine. The 24th. Carry on. Hmm. Piece of trivia. The same day. Seamless transition. Putin yesterday. This speaks to what we just laid out. Nationalist and neo-Nazi groups, foreign mercenaries, including those from the Middle East, that's why I'm worried about the Syriaification of Ukraine, are using civilians as, as human shields. Then switching gears, he speaks about the sanctions. He says these sanctions are methods of fighting against Russia, mm-hmm. in lieu of actually. Of course. Um, but he, he's claiming, and he's right, that there's no... Equivocation, it is there, it's established in international law, it's the equivalent of a declaration of war. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, it has not come to that actual war, but we understand what these threats are about. His, his press secretary, uh, Peskov, also said the West is engaged in economic 
banditry against us. However, the world is too big for Europe and America to isolate a country. Also, there are many countries in the world. Obviously, that speaks to the fact that the West is at most, like I said, 20% of the world's population. It's more in terms of resources. But how much of that is, you know, how much of that is funny money? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're going to see who wins the sanction war yeah. in the coming months, so, well, years maybe. Another thing from Putin, if this is more ominous. If the current leadership in Kiev continues in the same spirit, they will call into question the future of Ukrainian statehood. Mm-hmm. If this happens, they will be entirely on their own conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, Do they have one? Th- that'll obviously be read. Oh, yeah, some some definitely don't. That'll obviously be read as Putin saying, Putin revealing that he's actually in it to acquire territory in the West. But I think it might speak more to the fact that government structures already rotted from within because of the what's happened since 2014, like we saw. Mm-hmm. Um are collapsing, mm-hmm. even in the territories where the Russian armed forces mm-hmm. are not, not yet present. Um, well, there's also a possibility, I mean, I think there's a risk because they're doubling down on it. With, as we just said, the U.S. has been funding, arming, training uh, the Ukrainian military, such as it is for seven, six, seven years, uh, and the last you know several months planning specifically for uh, urban warfare, so they're not going to back down on it. Russia is probably going to have to take the kind of gloves off, unfortunately, and there probably will be, you know, it'll give the Ukrainians to a certain extent what they want, which is civilian casualties. Um, but also at some point, Russia, if that continues on for any, for too long, Russia will probably start um, trying to deal with the flow of weapons because obviously that kind of resistance can only uh, continue for a long period of time if they continue to receive weapons and they are continuing to receive weapons from from the US and Europe and they're receiving them in through Poland, Slovakia, uh, primarily Poland and Slovakia, I think, um, on, on their on their western border, basically. So at a certain point, if that continues, it's possible that Russia will attack any convoys or tran- transfers of weapons right. from the west to the east, putting, uh, you know, risking... Uh, a kind of a contact, direct, conflict direct contact with NATO with, members. With NATO members, that's that's a real possibility because they're not going to back down with this. And that, like I said, the only way that that kind of a that their planned urban, protracted urban war kind of warfare thing, yeah. a, a messy war that makes Russia look increasingly bad, can continue is if there's a continual supply of weapons coming right. in. And the only way, because they can't do it by air, the only way they're coming in is by land, yeah. and they're coming in from. On, the, on Ukraine's western borders via Poland and Slovakia, the other country. Uh, there's Slovakia, Hungary, Hungary, Poland. Poland. Is that the only three? Yeah, EU, yeah. Okay, so probably not coming oh, to... Oh, well, Moldova, but probably not coming no, to... Not Moldova to. has applied to join the European Union, though. Right, yeah. But definitely coming in through Poland and, and Slovakia. Maybe not Hungary, but definitely Poland and Slovakia. So that's a problem. And it'll probably be Poland. Uh, that'll, that'll be... Uh, that, that. Poland is going to regret this. <coughs> oh, my God. They have a million refugees there, according to the yeah. UN. Well, a million have left, or 1.2 have left, but only half of those went to Poland. The rest went to uh, Slovakia, Hungary, and uh, about <sighs> half a million in Poland. But yeah, that's 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 the that's the thing where it's inevitably going to spread because it's because all, they're not going to back down. Yeah. Like like someone like that, General McGregor said basically, if they had agreed to, if Ukraine had agreed to neutrality, just give uh, 
Russia what it, what it wants. It all goes away, it all ends, but and there's the, no civilian casualties. What the general didn't know or realise was the extent to it. Well, no, he did, didn't he? He said Zelensky is a puppet, but he should have then further articulated that he's Washington's puppet. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's implied. Who, who's else, who else's puppet is he? Yeah. Obviously not Russia's. Um, yeah, in the end, he had free agency. Romania. He had free, he could have done. He could we forgot have. Romania. Romania, big border. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they can come in through Romania, Hungary, Moldova, not Hungary, but Romania, Slovakia, and, no, and Poland. Romania separated by Moldova. No. It's got a big border with... with uh, Ukraine directly? Yeah, I'm looking at the map right now. Okay. Yeah, northern border of Romania. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's down the line, you know, that's, that's possible. And then There's another international dimension to this. There, someone threw a bomb at the Russian embassy in Holland today. Hmm. It didn't go off, but shit, I mean... I, I, that could have been spontaneous as well. Like they, yeah. they, they don't understand the Rubbing extent to which up. they've riled people up. The British port workers in the UK refuse to handle anything that may be dirty uh, Russian from Russian. Throw up uh, that JPEG's got that last JPEG um, that you have. I won't say what it is because it gives it away. I'll just put it there, and it's a graph. Boom. Ooh, price F- of wheat fifty percent increase. And oil could hit. Uh, you know the last time. You know. You know the last time there was uh, wheat was this high. In Arab, Arab Spring, and it gave rise partly to the Arab Spring because right. wheat, Food is, wheat, is, wheat is a major staple there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, in 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 the Middle East and, and beyond, and uh, when those prices go up, yeah. And that's just an initial spike, like. Yeah. From about eight hundred dollars to twelve hundred. Um, yeah, and the other one we <coughs> that I have the video of actually is <coughs> he mentioned it earlier is the International Red Cross uh, MP4. This is a video taken by some of the uh, Kadarov <coughs> Brigade, the Chechens. Just throw it up there, and um, you can just play here. You'll see some uh, International Red Cross boxes, humanitarian aid. Co- oh, that's not humanitarian aid. What is that? That doesn't look like why that's past, that's not pasta. That's Uncle Benjamin. That's how they do it. Humanitarian aid comes in in the form of shitloads of dollars to pay your irregulars, the the militants, the the um, the mercenaries, basically the mercs. That's how they get paid under the table or out of the Red Cross box, as it were. Two grand a day. Uh, what are they called? With bonuses for killing Ruskis. Yeah. Um, soldiers for hire, you know. Yeah. So that's what they're doing, yeah. Like, and you said, it's a kind of Syriaization in a certain sense of Ukraine. Oh, that's their intent on a, on, on a smaller scale, but still. Smaller? Yeah. Ukraine is the largest country No, but on a smaller scale in terms of the number of people that they're shuffling in there. Right. I mean, Ukraine, Syria was 250,000, you know what I mean? Okay. But smaller, but no less devastating because you're talking about urban, you know, very concentrated urban uh, areas where the fighting will be done. Russia is really going to be cut off from the world for at least a period of time. Russia's aerofloats halting all international flights from March 8th. Did you see the (coughs) Russians are going to, because a lot of Russia has, I think, something like 70 or 80% of its its 
commercial uh, aircraft fleet, you know, for the different airlines mm. or flood and stuff are all leased. And uh, you have to give them back. They can cancel those lease contracts and you have to give them back. But they said that they were toying with the idea. They haven't, I don't know if they've done it yet, but they're toying with the idea of nationalizing those planes. <laughs> Use the term nationalizing, yeah. which means basically, yeah, we're keeping your planes. Yeah, they should. They keep everything. Uh, we'll still pay you for them, but you're not canceling the lease, basically. They're in our territory, so we're going to keep using them to ferry passengers. But as many as we need, you know what I mean? You can have the ones back that we don't necessarily need. But, you know, they're not saying... They're, they're obviously... <laughs> Air traffic and stuff to Russia will probably take a hit, but it's still going to continue. They'll keep flying. Um, because, yeah, Russia's still open to China, India, yeah, yeah, the East. Sure. Yeah. keep forgetting it's just the international community that's saying this. Which that's is, what Peskov uh, said. They, they Europe, seem to forget Canada, how, America, how big Australia. the world is. Yeah, yeah. The international community, i.e. USA, Europe, Western Europe, Canada, and, and Australia. It, and in the end, will it just be the USA? Lavrov last yeah. week. Well, that's what um, they're worried about. What did he say? See, I don't know how many Europeans will ever come to see it this way, not even after it all goes to hell. Lavrov says something like the US, he came out and said it outright, what they've intimated at for decades. Europe is occupied mm-hmm. by the United States. Absolutely. Has been will Europeans ever see it that way? Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see as things, as things go on. Well, just one more video. It just follows on what we talked about, what we, a few videos we watched last week. The mainstream media are kind of like, still haven't got the message, but uh, it's the last the Twitter, um, in context media it is. Um, <laughs> the, t- the title kind of says it all. We can listen to her say it. Happened in the last refugee crisis in Europe back in 2015. Poland was one of the EU countries that you know, was hesitant to take in refugees. Talk about what has changed and the different position now. Yeah, well, just to put it bluntly, these are not refugees from Syria. These are refugees from uh, neighboring Ukraine. I mean, that, quite frankly, is part of it. These are um, Christians. They're white. They're um, they're very similar so to people, many people who live in Poland. So, you know, uh, Zeke Heil, <clears throat> my yeah. sister. Yeah, exactly. She should join the Azov Battalion. <laughs> we'll welcome her. She could be their spokesperson. Um, yeah, well, it just exposes. I mean, that's been exposed, is being exposed, and it's being exposed directly by the media. Like those yeah. the clips we showed last week, there's four or five of them of different from different uh, reporters from different outlets saying pretty much that same thing. These are white Christian people. These aren't these brown people that we like bombed and stuff. You know, in Afghanistan, no one really cares about them. So you know that racism is systemic. And there is unconscious racism because these people wouldn't be saying it if they thought that it was they were going to be accused of being racist. So all of the African-Americans who have been at the forefront of talking about systemic racism and unconscious racism in white people and crackers over the past uh, several years are right. They have a point. But sure. they, I didn't see any of them complain. If they're complaining, well, I don't think they care at all. But they don't care either. And any of them that make a distinction between if there's any black people or any, any, any Afri- African-Americans right now who are saying, yeah, it's really bad what's happening in Ukraine, who didn't say that about Afghanistan or Iraq, are also racist. Right. right. That, they have systemic racism. But yeah. there it goes away from racism and becomes a kind of like us versus them, yeah, the it, other. It, it's it's just, Western centrism. It's something it's else. My people like me, people who in some way or other I identify with, not yeah. necessarily skin color, but culture, <laughs> you know, belief, whatever, 
uh, they're the good people. Yeah. The other that I don't really know anything about, regardless of what skin color they have, they can be killed. Yeah. Westerners in general, they're so... They can be... We've seen it last the last two weeks. They can be... We were reminded that they're part of a tribe of being in the West. You know? It's not the racism per se. It's like... They're constantly part of the barrage of propaganda is that you have safety and wealth and happiness as part of our tribe. Right. They're reminded over and over again. Mm -hmm. The 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 uh the brotherhood you have with others in the West, you know, that's the kind of and it's it's a thin veneer because mm -hmm. it's it's only ever wheeled out in in, in a kind of firestorm of propaganda mm -hmm. when it comes to this thing, something outside the West, something that affects our interests mm -hmm. and they they start to you know they personalize it oh our interests mm -hmm. yes these are our interests mm -hmm. no they're master's interests mm -hmm. and he's told you that mm -hmm. his interests are your interests right. they're not your right. interests not at all and you're going to find out just flick back to that wheat wheat graph you know you're going to find out pretty soon that uh, while you starve or while you find it hard to get stuff uh, in the supermarket so there's food shortages or shortages of energy, if you're freezing or whatever. Uh, the ones who have been saying we're all in this together and it's our, it's our interests and stuff, they'll be, they won't be freezing or starving. It'll be you. And then the, the, finally the divide, the clear divide that was always there and the way that, uh, that the elites see the ordinary people will become painfully clear, you know? Yeah. Um, but holiday, according to The Guardian, Scotty, um, check that headline. Bot holiday. COVID disinformation down as social media pivots to Ukraine. <laughs> well, that's true. The usual deluge of invective prompt, prompted by coronavirus and vaccine issues is absent. Russia's invasion may be a factor. But don't worry, there'll be lots of bots, Russian bots coming in to, to spread a deluge of invective and fake news about Russia's invasion. In fact, it's already happening. Right. Right? According to The Guardian. Did you see the, <clears throat> um, the video someone made of uh, a, a Star Wars um, stormtroopers playing down on the highway in Ukraine? Someone was goofing, obviously. It was real war footage from somewhere in Ukraine last week. And... They added in a CGI of like a downed yeah the tie fighter yeah a tie fighter yeah, yeah. and two stormtroopers. Yeah. <laughs> Can you play the? Or have I sent it here? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. This but wait before you play it. This is an Israeli MSM report <laughs> about the situation in Ukraine. Look what they included in it. וארבעה קילומטרים מתקרבת לקייב ובארצות הברית מזהירים כי מדובר בנחיל מכריע שיפרוץ לבירה תוך שלושה ימים. שיחות השלום החלו אתמול בבלארוס, אבל ההסכמות כלשהן עדיין נראות רחוקות. Unfortunately, in one of these scenes, you can see a Ukrainian TIE fighter has... No, that's a Russian TIE fighter that has that's been shot glorious. down. <clears throat> glorious. Yeah, well, it just shows you how you can't trust the media. 
at all. They wouldn't know what disinformation was if it bit them in the ass. Because they're spreading it all the time themselves. Fish and water. <sighs> okay. Um, almost two hours. I think we'll wrap it up there. That's about it. Yeah, but the main thing, I think, to just a take-home message from our analysis of the situation is that um, things are going to get probably more difficult, more unpleasant, primarily because of what we've just been talking about, um, U.S. uh, advisors in Ukraine and the Ukrainians themselves are more than happy to sacrifice uh, Ukrainian civilians to encourage them to fight, encourage them to stay, stop them from leaving in order to uh, increase the potential for uh, Russian, you know, the, the advance of Russian troops to cause civilian casualties so that they, they, they can then use that to, uh, to demonize Russia. And like I said, uh, the only way that that kind of a urban warfare or guerrilla warfare can uh, continue to be waged by the Ukrainians against the Russians in, in, in the bigger cities is if the flow of weapons continues to come from the US and Europe and or the US via Europe and that is happening via the Polish and Romanian and possibly Slovakian borders and Russia will ultimately would ultimately in that, in that scenario look to cut those off which means you might have a, an expansion of a dangerous expansion of this uh, of this conflict all by design, effectively, are all uh, because the US and the Europeans are unwilling to do the reasonable thing and to understand Russia's uh, perspective on this and to calm the whole thing down. And they could make it go away like that. Like we said, like the General McGregor Mm. said, if Ukraine were just to accept that they should be a neutral country, it would be good for the West, good for Russia then Russian troops could be, could go home fairly quickly. But they're not willing and to And Ukraine do could be rebuilt. Right. And I don't just mean rebuilt from this, this war. I mean rebuilt from like right. 10 years of just abominable mismanagement. Plundering. It's been plundered. There's $57 billion in debt. It, it, it needs a restart. It genuinely needs a reset. Yeah. All right, um, folks. I think we'll leave it there for this week. Any uh, Anything we need to respond to in the chat, Scotty? <coughs> <clears throat> no, no, just that uh, Russia apparently announced that they're going to resume bombing at uh, 6 p.m. today yeah. because... Well, that's what I just said, yeah. Yeah, that was it pretty much. So, yeah, expect it to get worse before it gets better, folks, but, um, you know, it is what it is. That's the reality we live in. That's the world we live in. And, you know, America set the standards and set the set the uh, terms. And it and started the fires and it's up to Russia to put them out. Right, exactly. Okay, uh, thanks for watching, listening, reading, or we weren't reading, maybe we were reading. Anyway, and for our chatters, if you haven't liked, please like, smash all the buttons, whatever whatever works. And we'll be back next week with another update on what's been going on between now and then. Hope you have a good evening, morning, afternoon, wherever you are. Uh, stay safe. Thanks See you later. Watching. Bye. Bye. Can't stop the signal now. Mm-hmm.